Lights, camera, action. Okay, Bob Bernie. What a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is wonderful. So I, I want to just get up to date because we haven't seen each other yeah. in a while. Um, what, what, what's, uh, what's going on since, I guess, was it June or July? What was your, when did you uh, uh, leave from uh, Amazon? June, in June. June. Yeah. And, well, first of all, I've been uh, taking it easy after intense, you know, after a lot of stuff. But um, I went to some of the European film festivals like Deauville, Locarno, that I've never been to. It, you know, during the because they're they're off the kind of main buying circuit. So I've been cruising around watching movies, but taking it easy and a little bit out of the pressure for for a few weeks. Nice, yeah. nice, it's been great. Nice, and uh, um, your 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 term there was uh, a, a four year uh, period. Right? Yeah, I was from there the, from start to finish. Yeah, I was there four years. I moved from New York to LA to start. To work with Amazon, and we had a really—it was really cool and interesting run with a lot of, you know, Manchester by the Sea and the Big Sick, and and last year Cold War, some great, real exciting movies. Yeah, I'm interested in. Uh, I I didn't get a chance. I want to see Cold War, um, but I the director did that film, the the black and white movie before that. I can't remember the name of it. And it was shot four by three. I think Cold War was as well. Am I as right? As well. Yeah. yeah. No, it's always like you come up with the challenges. So it's, it's uh, you know, the square frame. It's black and white. It's uh, foreign language. And uh, yeah. yet Cold War, I th not only for me, but I think a lot of people, when they saw that movie, that was like, this is why I first got interested in the, in the, in cinema. It's that kind of movie, that good, and and the fact that Pavel got nominated, you know, nominated for best director for this black and white Polish film in the in the was amazing. And amazing. I think was was it true? I think he was nominated for the film before that too. Yeah, he yeah. Was. yeah, amazing. Well, yeah, and he, he well, the, the, uh, won best foreign film. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. amazing, amazing. So very lucky in the in the sort of distribution career to meet these amazing artists. That, it's it's wonderful. I have a weird connection to not directly to the director, but to his his sort of uh, uh, organization because I was a regular going to the Kameramash Film Festival in yeah. Poland, and yeah. he was out of connected to the the film school in in Łódź. Absolutely. So he was so so he draws from this incredible pedigree of great cinematographer technicians and incredible people and that a, were part of his world. Yeah, absolutely, and a, and a teacher. And a mentor. Yeah, too. exactly right. Yeah, yeah, which is so good to to sort of give back like that. He he's very apparently amazing in, in his he he does classes and he's very tough and you learn a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. no 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 absolutely yeah. absolutely. Um, I want to I want to tally way back because I you know we've known each other for a number of years, but I don't really have much about in in the in my memory of ever having a discussion with you about uh i guess you grew up in oklahoma is that yeah, correct I, I grew up in oklahoma city and uh went to school though uh down in austin at university of texas in austin where, where so i had a, a, a football issue you know but it worked <laughs> out <laughs> exactly right yeah. yeah right but uh and and when i went to the film school there um uh, i think a mutual friend of ours mike simpson was there as well oh, okay so, there we yeah. go yeah Wow, yeah. interesting. Okay. And, and I still get, you know, Austin with um, South By and everything. I go back a, a lot, you know, because of that and because of a lot of people in the film business there that, st that are in Austin. So well, there's a, there's a foundation. 
yeah. right there because yeah. they were I think Richard right and, yeah yeah and, and yeah. all these and other Robert Rodriguez Robert Rodriguez yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's still it's still a, a great place to go visit yeah yeah so tell me tell me a little bit about I mean I just you know, I want to know a little bit more about your your early life well, and, and Oklahoma and yeah. all of that before before you end up at UT, yeah. which is a launching point. Then we can go yeah. into that. But I want to hear more about that and your family and all of that. Well, Oklahoma had, I, I mean, my uh, uh, remembrance sometimes of of those days are, is is through movies and through theaters. So you know, I think at, you know, I rep because I loved the films, but I liked the physical buildings and the environment of a cinema of a cinema right and we actually had in oklahoma city a cinerama theater which there weren't that many of them it was called the cooper and so i saw 2001 space odyssey kubrick's film in cinerama and i remember in oklahoma city before the show a trap door opened in the stage and slowly kind of a creaky machine comes up with the flag and you had to say the pledge of allegiance before the movie and uh, so you say the Pledge of Allegiance, and then the flag kind of goes down, and then Kubrick starts. Oh, my God. So it was great. Uh, it, That's wild. It was really good. And they, these theaters were, it was like a Broadway road show. You know, they didn't have, there was no popcorn. There was no, you, you had an intermission, which you could come out, and for some reason they served like a weird orange drink. You know, like that, there was no Coke or was very there was no concession no not, concession not, not a normal concession you could have a little bit during the intermission but i'll never forget the intermission in in 2001 when hal sees them talking in the capsule and it and then it cuts i mean it's a brilliant intermission wow yeah wow but anyway i i remember that oklahoma city from you know, in a way, through movies and, and theaters. But, but what it, about what about like your mom and dad and all of that? They, my, what was what was their what was what was that connection to cinema through well, your mother and father? I, I, you know, my father was in the oil business. It's not unusual for he was like a natural guy. He was an executive, and my mother was really the one who went to the movies all the time. And her favorite director was Hitchcock. So I sort of learned, you know, about him through her until psycho and after psycho not only wouldn't she never take a shower again but no. she wouldn't go any more hitchcock movies after that it oh. just freaked her out wow later she got it but there was many years where she couldn't yeah it, so. it, it closed the door for yeah. a bit yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that's wild yeah and uh so so you had a a sort of a and the starting of a, of a love of cinema uh, growing up in Oklahoma. And yeah. then and then you go uh, from being in uh, uh, growing up in Oklahoma to, to moving to Austin and you're uh, in college and and you're studying film out of the gate. Is that? Yeah. Did, did you go? So you went right into it and you studied. You, it wasn't just a film history study. You were studying production. Was you were production looking, history. Filmmaking. And yeah. Both, both of them. Both. Okay. And also I was working at... Uh, a local movie theater, of course, the projectionist. So I was threading up 35 millimeter films. And that that, that, that to me is absolutely fantastic um, because uh, uh, the the idea that, I can't believe that my phone just went off. I don't know how that happened, but we're going to solve that problem immediately. Um, so uh, in any case, uh, uh, I, I, was, uh, I worked uh, as a, a carbon arc projectionist in yeah. for the film society when I was in in college, okay. twenty minute twenty yeah. minute reels, right. uh, uh, switching arcs, 
uh, metal ICC cases, metal reels, doing changeovers, prepping prepping prints to go out to go up, showing as many. And when I when I finally worked as a projectionist in Cambridge, as I used to work at the Somerville Theater in Davis Square, yeah. four films a night. Yeah. So it was crazy. So you used to do that. I did, although I have to say I, I didn't do the carbon arcs. But and and when I was doing it, we had the platter system, right? So it wasn't reel to reel. So if you if you loaded up a 35 millimeter film. On oh, so a, you didn't have to do changeovers, no. yeah. Uh, but you did have to get it right because once you put these f reels together on a platter, if one of them was wrong or backwards, you're, you're dead. And uh, that happened a few times. Not, uh, you know. Where you had, have. yeah, where you had out of sequence. Yeah. It's the same thing for a changeover projectionist That's who right. pulls the wrong reel. Yeah. Yeah. It oh happens. my God. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the moments of sweating in the yeah. booth. Oh my God. So I was doing that at the same time. So I was kind of looking at, you know, the theater business as well as the production side in school. So, but it was all intertwined. And I worked, to, I showed a lot of films at the at the university and went to films. And so it was all part of it. My cousin uh, lived in Austin, who who was who was a writer. He's done a lot of stuff, but he was also he's also a poet. And one of he started a poetry magazine called Lucille, and his writing partner and publisher was Gunnar Hansen. So they were in a, in a uh, cafe, and this guy walked in and said, hey, to Gunner, who's a big guy, hey, how would you like to be um, in my movie? And it was uh, Toby Hooper. So Gunner became uh, Leatherface. Oh, my the, God, and Chainsaw. And Chainsaw. Of so, course, which and is he, shot in Texas, of course, and he was, Toby. And yeah. he was friends, my cousin. He was this mild-mannered poet that became uh, Leatherface. Oh, my God. So anyway. Very cool. Yeah. What a! I remember showing Chainsaw when I was uh, when I used to work yeah, in, the, in the theaters. Yeah, it's yeah, amazing. Anyway, over and over again. Yeah. yeah. Um, so okay, so now you're 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 in Austin. You're studying film and 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 film history, um, but you're you're also going to be like making shorts and producing stuff, shooting on film, some of that. You were doing both or you were leaning more towards the... I was... I you, was were doing, you were doing a full film school study. I was uh, doing study. both, yeah. yeah. And, and of course, the, I think that working in the theater, you know, diverted me a bit, you know. And so as, as I got to... When I graduated, I ended up working for... Um, the theater I was working for was owned by AMC Theater, and they were a very small chain at the time. And they had a theater in Houston called the Greenway that they said, well, "Look, this thing's a loser." And but maybe you can, maybe you want to go there and show some, you know, indie films or foreign films. So they helped you curate and pro. They helped, they, they they enabled you to curate and program. Yeah, I mean, I think they thought of it more like you know this theater they had is in a basement of a parking lot and no one can find it. So if you could get anybody to go there, <laughs> try it. And so I did that for a while, and then through these connections, um, found a, a partner to go in business with for a theater in Dallas. We wanted to find a location to do it ourselves. And there was a small theater in the middle of um, a, a suburb in Dallas called Farmer's Branch. I mean, it was not, you know, for, for Indian foreign foreign films, this was not the greatest location, but we started, it was a former, like, Jerry Lewis theater. It was a small, 
Theater. So one of the first films that I played there. Stop for a second. Jerry Lewis Theater, as in? Yeah. He the, owned, man, the man himself? The man himself owned theaters. I said, okay, this yeah. is a, keep going. I, 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 I want to go into yeah. that, but any keep going. Yeah. 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 And so one of the first films we played up there in this forest orbit was John Luc Godard's Every Man for Himself. And uh, the entire audience came out of the theater and they, they go, is this a movie theater? And I was like, yes, it is. You're, you're in it. And they go, but that's not a movie you're showing. We demand our money back. So that, because you're saying this is a movie theater, but this thing in there is not a movie. So I had to give everybody their money back. I wrote Godard because I figured he'd love that, but I never heard from him. Never heard back. Never heard back. Oh, my. So, you know, it was a, little, it was a rough start. But then, not that long after that, there was an Australian film called My Brilliant Career. What, what a, I mean, Jillian Armstrong. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, uh, I mean, I remember showing it, for, yeah. I mean, but I bet it was something that I, a film that I, I loved. And all there were many other directors, of course, out of Australia, yeah. like, you know, Bruce Beresford yeah. and a whole team yeah. of people that were very coming up at that time, yeah. right? So we booked that in. And again, this is the same theater that everybody demanded their money back. And it played months. Like, it was unheard of that, that a film like this in Dallas would play at all and it played months and so everybody started coming out to this middle of nowhere theater and the theater name again sorry the theater was called the the showcase in farmer's branch okay so it was it, it had a it had a, a brand name of showcase which of course is connected to a brand name of a larger entity but not because no. it was a jerry lewis theater yeah it's just it wasn't connected because national right. amusements was yeah, showcase no. too how interesting it was yeah. just weird so then later we did find a location that was great in Dallas called the Inwood Theater. And that was an old, you know, from one of the big circuits, beautiful art, modern, built in the probably late 40s. Um, but it had been damaged by a fire and it was, you know, it was essentially out of business. It was a former, you know, they, we had these theaters called Dollar Houses, like a discount sub run. But it, the bones of this thing were beautiful. and. It, and it was owned by, uh, at the time, by this guy named Leroy Mitchell, who is the chairman emeritus of Cinemark. And okay. he, he uh, leased us this theater, which was amazing. And we restored it and, uh, <clears throat> and, and started playing these. And it was a great location. And it's still there today. Um, Mark Cuban ended up buying it. Landmark bought it. And operated the, the Inwood. Yeah. Okay. And it's still there today, but it's now owned by. It's still Landmark. It's owned by Charles Cohen now. Right. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, the the, the theater operates. the theater remains. Yeah. Yeah. And the Inwood sort of followed you in a sense as a, a almost as like a little mini brand. I'm, I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but when I remember meeting you the first time, yeah. I think it was in Culver City yeah. in L.A. You had an identity for a company called Inwood Films. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, it is, and it's not. Although I love the neighborhood here in in New York, Inwood, but it was for the, the Inwood Theater, and I. That's always, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, it's always been sort of a brand. We've had different companies, and just sort of, it, it's always my connection because the Inwood was this beautiful theater, but the main thing about it, it was a community, and we started it was the first theater to have a bar and restaurant even before the Angelica here. And before other theaters decided that it was cool to do that, right? Or, or legal. Or legal. Oh, okay. Or, or legal. legal. Because okay. you couldn't so, have liquor licenses, and you still can't. Like even in well, what about Manhattan. Al what about Alamo? 
they've they figured out how to do it and it's sort of the laws have changed over the years because they're restaurants you know they they figured out a way they're still i pick same still, thing right i pick yeah right they have they have a, but they have that's right they have the bar restaurant yeah but mine was different and at the time the the bar was in the lobby and i it made it look like it was always there you didn't go into the theater so it was separate and it became a place where kind of like the Angelica, where afterwards everybody would come out and talk about the movies. So it was a real community thing. And we had, you know, great bartenders and music and events. And we started hosting film festivals there. This wow. a film festival called the USA Film Festival. And uh, so we, I rented the theater to them. So then all they started bringing in directors and having uh, shows. And, you know, so I started meeting a lot of people from that, like we had at one point, John Cassavetes came in and, you know, he was on stage doing a Q&A and there was, unfortunately, there was about 30 people, you know, but it was amazing to, to, to have these people there. Right. You were able to you were able to host uh, the artists yeah. uh, in front of an audience, which probably was not happening in other places. No, right. No, it was probably not anywhere. It was yeah. really great. And we and we what, had, what, now what are the years now? Give me. Let's, uh, let's this talk. is like early 80s okay. mid to mid 80s. And, uh, you know, we had not which, only, yeah. our, you know, like famous directors like Cassavetes, but we also did, you know, like midnight show like, you know, what, you know, great you know, sort of exploitation directors. You know, we had Roger Corman come in. Wow. And, you know, when we, when I talked about the platter system, I had I was showing this um, midnight show called Hundra, Killer of Men. And the producer and this actress, you know, I guess had a, you know, they had an affair, but they were having a fight. They were not getting along. And the one of the reels was upside down and backwards in the middle of this full house screaming midnight show. And uh, I just said, there's nothing I can do. Let's let it go on. And she got up on stage and goes, don't worry. It was my, my boyfriend, the producer, that did this on purpose. And then he was banging on the projection store trying to kill us. So this fights broke out, and we just kind of let it run. You know, so it was always interesting. <laughs> oh, my know? God. Always fun. Oh, my God. We did a, we did a film festival with, uh, on those type of films. With the, there was a, the, the film critic in Dallas was a guy named John Bloom who had an alter ego uh, called Joe Bob Briggs who would review drive-in movies. So we did a lot of work with him, and he Wait still does second. it today the, at the there was, But there was a show called Drive-In yeah. Theater. With Joe, right? yeah, it was on Joe, Turner. Yeah, yeah, because I used to watch that show. That's the guy. Yeah. Oh, I, <laughs> yeah. I he, love he's it. A, he's a, a <sighs> serious uh, film critic at the time and an and a author of uh, some great both fiction and nonfiction books. He was a bit of a cowboy host, yeah. actually, and he would come on and introduce the film before it came on. I used to watch him, yeah. He still does it today at he's the Alamo oh, he does? theaters. He tours the country with and does a lot with that, and he's fantastic. Wow. Anyway. Uh, you know, it's funny we're talking about that era. Only what, I'm not to I, I'm not trying to try and draw back into yeah. my life working as a yeah. in the theater, yeah. but it was my first job out of college in 1984, yeah. and I worked at the Somerville Theater, and I worked for a manager back then called Garen Daly, mm -hmm. who came out of the Orson Welles and in, in yeah. off Harvard Square, and Garen was my boss, and he was at that time also sort of a renegade in the local community because. The Somerville Theater was an old vaudeville theater, and it was a balcony and lower-level theater, the yeah. huge screen. 
it had a projection booth with a ladder that you had to go up into yeah. through a door. And, and, um, and I remember that they hosted fairly regular live music shows. Yeah. They, pl they had Taj Mahal. They had Donovan. They had Michael Doucette. They had the Neville Brothers. It was wild. And then they used to do also some of this uh, uh, calendar programming where they would have like a midnight run right. and people would show up in their sleeping bags and they would stay overnight for a horror fest. Absolutely. I, I it, think... was, it was total craziness. I don't know if he was copying you or whatever. He probably heard about I, you, but it was just brilliant. I yeah. think a lot... What an era. Yeah, I, th I think a lot of the independent theater operators at the time would communicate. They didn't have a formal association. Like now it's more formal with art house conversion and yeah. so, but it was informal then. And I think independents were classically like, you didn't want to join, you know, you're not, you're sort of like really independent, but you would meet. And I, I would meet a lot of them at the Telluride Film Festival uh, every year because a lot of those um, theater owners would go to Telluride to discover what films were coming out or maybe being acquired. So it was a great place to, 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 to meet. And, and we, in the early days, a lot of the, like the or people from Boston or San Francisco would would meet at Telluride and and you know talk about the movies. But I think it's it has come full circle because I think at the Inwood, the film festivals, the live appearances, uh, Q and A's, that's really what's what's making the movies work now. You know, if you look at in Los Angeles, New York, <clears throat> the directors and actors doing Q and A's, it, may, it has to you have to eventize. A theatrical film to get people to go. The Metrograph. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. 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 So it's sort of and IFC come back. cinema. Yeah. 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 IFC, which, you know, I was in the early days when I worked at IFC was also part of working with John Searing on on designing that theater. And then I I'm if I'm not correct, John Vanko's still there, right? Oh yeah. Okay, okay, good. Oh yeah. 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 Because yeah. John was out of distribution. Yeah. What, am I right? Cow, he, he cowboy, was cowboy. Book, cow, cowboy booking. Cowboy right? with it was him and Noah Cowan. Noah who, Cowan who later Walter ran the Toronto. Yeah, yeah. The Toronto Film Festival. Yeah, yeah. So Incredible. it's all what a connected. it's a family. <clears throat> yeah, it it's is. A, it's a family, and um, uh, so to jump around a little bit, a little bit further forward, you uh, uh, emerge in in advance of uh, of IFC in, uh, and this is sort of uh, uh, starting with, let's say, like with Film Dallas. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I know, I know of Film Dallas. I'm, I'm, very, I'm pretty good friends with, with John Ives and mm -hmm. some of the people. I mean, I don't yeah. know if John was, was John involved? I don't yeah, even, he was he involved. Was. Okay, so John's a good friend. Yeah. And, but I don't know much about the life of Film Dallas and the story of Film Dallas, which was, am I right in saying that was one of your early gigs yeah well, out when you left exhibition well it's yeah it was part of that and that when we were doing uh when i was saying earlier that we were, we were renting the theater to the film festival at the Enwood to the usa film festival and the head of the film festival was a guy named sam grog and sam and so all these artists and directors are coming into dallas and the film festivals at the theater and all the everybody starts to go this could be a business and so sam all the bankers there funded sam uh, they go well you're a, you're here in dallas you're a hollywood guy you must know how to make movies so sam started film dallas and one of the first 
as a financier. Yeah. Okay. And and it, well, he was the creative. He was the you know the the he picked the movies, and one of the 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 couple first projects they did were Kiss of the Spider Woman and Trip to Bountiful. And, oh my God! And I did, both okay. of them won Academy Awards like the first year. Wow, that's right. I and remember so, them. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't realize that. That's how they. How they. Uh, you don't know the backstory. Yeah. yeah. So then, uh, it, it got bigger, and I ended up going to work for Sam and Film Dallas to start distribution. So I went from exhibition to distribution, uh, and at the time, uh, New World, which was now Bob Ramey, if you remember mm-hmm. Bob, was was looking to raise money. Came to Dallas. And ended up instead of raising money, he ended up buying Film Dallas. So we all moved to Los Angeles, and as soon as we got out there, uh, New World goes, uh, "No, we're not going to be in the film business anymore." <laughs> and so we were just stranded. Wow. It was all over. I mean, now New World, uh, the, we're I'm going to go back to Dallas in a moment before we 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 go way forward. But New World was UK. No, no, the U.S. It was, no, it was it was, it was, it was Roger Corman. It was Corman's company. Yeah. Okay, so that was Corman. He, he had left. He had left. That's what I'm thinking because I because I knew the Corman company yeah. and all the films that they made and what he had yeah. created, but that was Corman's company. Yeah. That and, you were part of. Yeah, and it was after he'd left and Ramey was running it, but then they decided to go into television only and get out of the movie business. And but I had known and 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 Joe Bob John, we'd known Roger for a long time, and we used to play a lot of. Roger Corman movies at the Inwood because if you remember Roger, you know you may know him from his he, exploitation, he, but he was he a ra- art house. He guy. raised some of the directors that we still know today. Yeah. Ron, Ron Howard, yeah. But also uh, he, Joe Joe Dante. Yeah. There's a whole documentary yeah. just on the directors that he nourished, making those early what were considered quasi B movies, independent yeah. films. You know, but he was. He was the training ground for a lot of a lot of amazing directors. Uh, Paul Bartel, yeah, uh, all these um, like uh, uh, guys that became, you know, yeah. went on after Martin Scorsese, Scorsese. Yeah. exactly. But, uh, Boxcar Bertha. But the other thing Roger he Corman. did, yeah. the other thing Roger did that people don't remember, maybe, but he brought uh, the international directors to the states. He bought the rights to Bergman, Fellini, uh, Kurosawa, like major directors. So he would he would buy the movies for like I don't, I'm sure he bought them for like ten thousand dollars you know at the time but we would play all those movies I remember playing this um, at the Inwood uh, this film by Kurosawa that he made in Russia called Derzu Azala and I got got the print from uh, New World right and it came in a giant truck it was a seventy millimeter Russian print oh my a, god yeah. so I mean he was. He really did these interesting things, but he had sold the company. We move out; they're out of the film business, and we're just we moved to L.A. and now we have no job. I have no job. Jeannie is pregnant with our first kid, and your first, you know, yeah, it's a interesting times, interesting an interesting moment, as there are many in your life. But I want to go back to Dallas for a moment because I'm still like transfixed on this idea. Inwood, Mm -hmm. Magnolia. Uh Angelica, all of these origin cinemas that are uh, uh, so important, right, Mm -hmm. that come, I mean, I don't want to say of all places Dallas, Mm -hmm. but but 
but you know, and 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 once again, you know, we you know, New Yorkers, we live on a bit of a, we literally live on our own island in mm-hmm. a sense. Yeah. But you know, let's, I I want to dive into the 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 thrust behind such a, in a sense, it's almost like a counterculture cinema movement yeah. inside of a a city that that I don't think uh, the rest of America imagines to have this underbelly that's so gritty and 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 incredible right i think i think a lot am of I, it, am i am i saying something that makes sense to yeah you? no i think it, I mean, yeah. it is you're saying like why there but, why uh, there but i think it was because at least when we were there there was no uh, there was no place to go i mean for these type of films i mean I, we'd look at the theaters in new york and we'd come here sometimes for the festival but there was nowhere to go and so it was a way to kind of for our figure out a way to try and do it. And I found that there was a real audience in these places, really, for independent films, you know, even early films with, like, you'd play, like, a, a gay-themed film, and all of a sudden it was sold out. And there was all, anything, there was, so there was an audience hungry for for some new films, and you, and you couldn't get them on, you know, any other way. It was only theatrical at that point. And would you say that part of the... The drive towards the cinema culture of Dallas, uh, in a sense, was that there was a thirst to to have uh, uh, an interesting cultural edge, but not necessarily a foundation of opera or theater like you have, or there was that too. Well, or what would you say were the other? What was the other part of? There's certainly a live music world, but yeah, yeah. I think I think I mean it was different. Like Austin had the music, but Dallas there there was a. Uh, a high art there was like a uh, uh, museum and opera world there uh, but there wasn't the film part wasn't wasn't there part of it right and if you look at dallas now like there there's all sorts of huge uh like it's it's beyond everything in terms of museums and, and dallas and fort worth no of course in yeah. terms of that but in terms of like live entertainment yeah. Yeah, um uh, uh, you have you certainly have live music, and I'm sure you know you have an, you have an opera house and all yeah. of that. But uh, but it, it's not. Would it, would you say that there was an equivalent hub for for small theater and all of that, or was it, or did the viral growth come more from I, cinema? I, I think I think it came for, from the cinema. I it came really from, do. That's what yeah. I'm. That's what I'm asking. Really yeah. And if you look at it, it continued because I think one of the leaders today in 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 this is Alamo. Theaters, Tim from, League, yeah. yeah, and from Austin, he's and, out of Austin so exactly. It, Once so again, there's, there's trouble in Texas. You know, so, so, so people are stirring it up. So I don't know. It's interesting that these these places, uh, you know, all these things have come out of Texas. I think it, but not from yeah. other cities. In in, I mean, I'm not calling it a secondary market, yeah. but it's not the you know, it's still uh, uh, not the uh, the one of the the necessarily the key hubs yeah. in a sense, right? Yeah. We we did we did uh, make it that though. You it made really, it that. It yeah. really did turn into that. Yeah, I remember working with uh, uh, with Doug McGrath on on yeah. Infamous. What in the at the same time that I had worked on Capote, and I remember yeah. that was shot in Austin and yeah. all of that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. interesting stuff. Yeah, it is. It's, yeah. yeah. So now you're in L.A. Yeah. And uh, baby on the way. Yeah, we we went through uh, different things. I worked for this guy. Um, uh, Lenny Shapiro, I don't know if you've ever run into him. He, he, had a, he was a producer and, and distributor and foreign sales guy who had a company called Shapiro Glickenhaus. And it was a guy in New York, Jim Glickenhaus, who had made like 
directed like uh, the exterminator like big exploit like one of the early guys in that and they wanted to start a distribution so we did i worked for them a while then i worked for this company called banner entertainment which is mickey liddell who is you know a really big uh, player now for example he has the movie judy out now okay so ld entertainment's mickey but mickey was a had a was a management company at the time with Brian Schwartzstrom was a big agent, and they had a lot of clients. So they and they made uh, some movies, and they wanted to distribute. So I was doing, starting it up for them. And at the same time, uh, uh, our friend, our old friend uh, at Good Machine, Ted Hope, and Ted Hope, yeah, David Lindy, they had a movie by Todd Solondz called Happiness. Of course, that Bingham Ray was going to distribute at October. Right. October's owned by Universal. When they read the reviews out of Cannes, they just forbid the film to ever come out. Subject, you know, subject matter. Subject matter. I don't think they'd seen it. I'm sure they haven't. But they read the reviews and were just like, no, not, that, that is not happening. So, so Good Machine hired me to, to create, essentially out of my office at Banner, because we, we had no movies at the time. So we, I started distributing happiness just really out of my house and 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 now critical and I, moment really right yeah. um there are a certain amount of people in the film industry that do what we know to be the the service deal mm -hmm. and and you were you were right there the this was the this was the the seed right yeah for what would would become yeah. a, a rocket ship yeah essentially because yeah. you were working like, on your own yeah it was essentially yeah. saying like the the gate there were all the gatekeepers said no. And so I figured out a way, I'll just do it myself. You know, like I won't, I'll, and, and to producers. And they, and so Happiness worked uh, and it was very successful and got good reviews. And then from that, I got a call from these two um, British bankers, Will Tyrer and Chris Ball. They had this new market capital group. And they said, I, I wanna, could you come over and watch this movie? And I, they showed me Memento by Chris Nolan. They had financed the film. They, they were previously in gap financing, and this was one they fully financed. And I was like, it's amazing. Like, what do you want me to do? And they go, no, no. You don't understand. We can't get any distribution on this film. Amazing. Like, Crit no one will do it. Critical moment. Yeah. So they ended up putting up the money, and I did the same thing. For prints and advertising. Yeah. And I, we made it New Market Films. You know, again, I was doing it out of my house, essentially. And at the same time, I got a call from Jonathan Searing here in New York to start IFC Films. They wanted to start a distribution company. And I, I was like, this is great, but I'm already doing Memento. I can't, you know, I don't want to not do it. And they were like, fine, just do it at the same time. You can do that on the side. We have Chris's earlier film following at IFC, so that'd be great. So I ended up doing. You were able to do that do under both. the old under the old label. Yeah, and then so simultaneously enter into IFC. Yeah, so I had started IFC Films, and they wanted it was all in New York. We had to move to New York, but we stayed in LA for about a year doing this, and then we all moved here and fully started IFC Films. Was that? Sort of under Inwood Films at that time, or it was or yeah, well Inwood Inwood slash Banner, yeah, yeah, exactly, 
Okay. It was sort of, it was all mixed, you know, the, the entity, we always called it Inwood, but this, we did um, uh, Memento under New Market Films and then IFC. But you personally were Inwood. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. You were, that was your, that was your, yeah. your own incorporated yeah. entity. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Nice. Which, which is, is great. Still is. It, it, it exists today. Yeah, it's still. Yeah. It's Why just, not? Just, yeah. That and Ber Bernie Films, of yeah. course. Yeah, all that. Yeah. yeah. So interesting. Okay, and then and then with IFC now, what happens is you're you're with a a, a group that that under Dolan, in, in any case at the time, uh, were also the owners of Clearview Cinema, and they hung on to that for a bit, and yep. then this obviously gave birth to the what the what became the transition from the Waverly. To the IFC cinema, yeah, and, and you were there for that, and and its and its and its origins. Well, correct? I, I, early on, so yeah. first of all, IFC was uh, they had started production, right, and then they started to make movies. They yeah. started to make movies, and then they uh, with Carolyn Kaplan, right, and Jonathan, and then they brought me in to do distribution. So we also were to acquire films. So one of the first films we acquired was E to Mama Tambien mm -hmm. by Alfonso Cuarón. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it, again, it was sort of the the outlier. That film, other distributors thought it couldn't be rated or be rated X, and you know they didn't want to deal with it. And the movie, you know, it's it's very sexy. It's you know it's we ended up just not rating it. It was going out unrated, and it really broke out not only for Alfonso but for the cast. If you, th I just watched it again with Gael. I love, that. I, 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 mean, lo I love that film. It it's an amazing up. film. It holds up. But going out unrated, were there, uh, were there cinema uh, barriers for distribution? I, I don't, I, no, I don't, not really. Because there weren't, right? No, they, it wasn't they, bad. They were allowed. Yeah, unrated meant that you just, just for, for showed audience. it to them. Uh, you just showed it to the theaters and they decided. You know, like the MPA didn't like unrated because you're not participating in their, you know, in their group, but you could do it if the theaters looked at the movie and they saw that movie and they said, that, you know, this movie is brilliant and sweet. Actually, it had, had a tone, the tonal, well, it was sweet and melancholy in it. And they, they, no one had a problem with it. It became, it did become, I think, a great date night movie. You know, it was one of the early, you know, sexy date night movies. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. But it's, you know, it was amazing. At the same time, uh, they had made a movie, IFC had made a movie called Monsoon Wedding with, with Mira. With Mira, yeah, of course. And we were going to distribute that film as well because they produced it. But there was a lot of third-party financiers, and we had to renegotiate and do a lot of stuff at Cannes. And then we, um, we all toasted champagne at Cannes, and you know, it's all great. Next day, I wake up, and they go, um, uh, well... We thought about it. We don't want to risk it. We sold it off to somebody else. Monsoon wedding. I was oh, like, "Oh my god!" And so uh, that was that was the first sign that I thought, you know, I don't know if this is going to long term work. And and they under that group, yeah. yeah I mean, and I get it. They they're they're a big cable company and was that's the right. Film business is you know, and crazy. a and, and a broadcaster, right? Yeah. It's kind of a utility. Right, I mean, yeah, in a like sense. This, okay, taking these big swings, you know, and they so. sold off Bravo to uh, they got they sold yeah. it off to because they owned they had control yeah. of Bravo, which was a very important channel. Oh yeah, so 
they they said, look, the what we want you to do, the new plan, basically is we'll we don't want you, we'll give you zero budget to buy films and zero to to put them out. How about that? Sounds great. When, like, when do I start? And I was like, you, you can, and they go, no, that's the plan. Like I, you know, so uh, you need to find some producers to do a service deal or find money. You know, we don't want to risk it. You know, so we're just like, might as well have been doing Inwood. It was, it was no, yeah. at that point, right? It was yeah. no, no reason to raise anyone else's flag at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the film that we found uh, was my big fat Greek wedding. Oh my God. We found a, a, through a weird set of circumstances that the rights had been split and the producers of the, even though it was made by HBO, uh, the, the investors own the international rights and the theatrical rights, domestic theatrical, domestic. And no one ever thought it would be theatrical. Like no one ever thought about that. And, uh, so they, I think even HBO, like at the time, they were like, no, we, we made it for HBO. Like, what are you talking about? Oh, they didn't think of it as a theatrical no, they film. Never did. They didn't have, they didn't imagine it that way. No. Okay. <laughs> and which is nuts. Which, yeah. But, but they also, it was the same thing. They'd showed it to a lot of people and everyone was like, you know, no, it, it, it is not theatrical. Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. it's got a bunch of, it's, it's for an, an older audience. They don't go to movies. Everyone, everyone, the movies are for kids. Like they don't go. And also, it was kind of a. Uh, it, it was just perceived as a as a TV movie. Two hundred and forty million dollars <laughs> yeah. later. So you know. You know. I mean, like what? So up? anyway, it fit the bill of there was a third party financer. It was no risk, and I mean, it it just went through the roof. And we had, um, um, you know, with Tom Hanks and Gary Getzman mm-hmm. worked. You know, they, they believed in the project and they believed in this unique way of distributing the film, which was to keep it very limited, no matter, even in success. Like we, we, we started good and it held and held and we held it to 500 screens. We never went and everyone was going, go wide, go wide. And we, and Gary Getzman, Tom, they were all in agreement that like, we just keep it the same and it sold out and, and it's a comedy and just keep it like a phenomenon, like where you knew where to go. It's almost like uh, you didn't have to name the theater in each town. It's like, let's go to Greek wedding. Okay. You didn't have to tell anybody where it was. And we kept it from April to August in 500 screens, which has never been done. I don't, and then we went wide. Crazy. And it kept going. It was one of the, still one of the top indie films of all time. And we kept, we kept worrying about the big movies that were going to wipe us out and push us off screen. We'd have, a, have to have a call every, every week like, okay, the early summer movies are coming in. We're going to be dead. And then the summer movies, early summer movies came and went. We were still there. Then it was like, well, the June movies were dead. They all came and went. Greek weddings still playing. Finally, at the end of the year, they're like, we're really worried about the Christmas movies. <laughs> this was like a year later. And I go, you know, I, can't you, don't worry now. We've made it through every season and, and lasted longer than any f- film. So Crazy. You know, it's a blast. And those deals that you did on, on the service deals, unlike the studio deals, were they descending scale over time uh, for where the theater benefited from 
uh, a longer run. How did well, how did the service deals work? Because there was that whole ninety ten thing, and I never really understood. And well, it, all it, of that. It really wasn't even. I mean, the, obviously, the longer a film played, you know, traditionally the the um, the better it is for exhibitors because the longer it goes, the, the the less film rental they have to pay. Right. And same thing. So it was really successful, but yet on the same at the same time. Something playing that long for for the producers for the distributors is great too. So any time a film just continues, it's it's and good the for theater everybody. and the theater owners also of course benefit because oh, yeah. they're yeah they're yeah. Every, everybody's winning. Plus, it was an unheard of new audience. In other words, the fact that they thought that that no uh, older audience would would come to theaters at that time was incredible because of course they did. They weren't making any movies for the audience, <laughs> and so once they put a movie out for, I mean, there were, there they were, that it was good. Like, I remember here, the old um, uh, Beekman Theater, you know, that was on. The Beekman, uh, sure. Yeah. So, go by there, and normally, there was like, a, 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 instead of a rack of, uh, there were, there was, instead of a rack of skateboards or bikes, I saw a rack, a giant a pile of walkers out in front of the theater. Like, you know, so yeah, the, you know, you know your audience, don't <laughs> the audience, you? The audience was there. It's like it was amazing. It was like they're they're showing up. They're they're barely getting there, but they got there. They're going to the movies. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. So um, now you're you've you've run a, a bit of a course at IFC, mm-hmm. and uh, and then the next is is New Market. Yeah, the right? next is New Market because with the, you know, I decide the New Market guys after. New, Memento really wanted to do it, but I was already at IFC, and they they came back and said, "Let's do a formal company rather than the, you know, the out of the." Because you had already been with them at that yeah. point, yeah, right. So we formed New Market Films, and you know, left I left IFC and formed New Market, and um, which was great. That was the first time that was really, you know, a, a true partnership with partner, really great partners in my own company. Um, and we, we had some wonderful films. We started out with Real Women Have Curves that was an HBO production that they wanted to try the theatrical market, which was nice, and we got a lot of reviews. And then um, we had a wonderful film called Whale Rider that still is a classic today, in my, in my opinion, I think. Um, that was another film that my partners and I, Will Tyra, we saw at the Toronto Film Festival. And it was one of the late films in the festival. And as, as far as I can remember, everybody walked out in about 15 minutes, the distributors, and no one stayed till the end. It was one of those films that just by the end of it, the whole audience was standing up applauding and crying. And, wow. You know, and we had that. And then we had uh, another uh, service deal from, from Mel Gibson, so The Passion, Passion of the Christ. Which yeah. is now the... Yeah. You know, then now it goes to the top of the charts yeah. for, for box office yeah. all time. Yeah. 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 Cause they had, um, uh, my partners had funded in their banking careers, some, some icon films. So they knew they had worked with uh, Mel and Bruce Davey before. And then, so they had the connection. So, and you know, it, it was in that. So they, Mel, their company put up all the money to release the film. And it was like, through the roof. It's it's so funny because going back to the, 2000 screens, uh, we were almost on, uh, with the number of prints, it was closer to 3,500, 4,000. And 
the guy that blanketing North America everywhere. Remember the guy that I mentioned earlier, Leroy Mitchell, that bought I bought we leased the Inwood from. He then was now the chairman of Centermark, and they were huge. I mean, they're now the third bit largest. And I remember they called and they said um, they had a, a big uh, multiplex, 24 screens by their office in Plano, Texas, which is in the suburb of Dallas in the north. And they're like, listen, Bob, we want this on all 24 screens. We'll be opening the passion. <laughs> I was like, all 24? And they go, yeah, yeah, all of them. And not only at all the theaters, but in this theater, all the screens. Unbelievable. And I, and I was like, you were, you were, you were, like, you were controlling like, an entire, crazy. an entire region. And they, but it was funny because I was like, you know, I thought they were crazy, but okay. And they go, oh, and by the way, we're going to open it. Our first shows will be at 6 a.m. You know, it's like, okay. And then, remember, and then remember when we opened this, we, on rent track where you get the, the live real-time grosses start coming in at 6 and it was just like unbelievable like it was just you couldn't believe the the the, was, aud the audience uh volume was uh, starting a, a screenings at, was, at in the morning at yeah. 6 I mean I think that's unprecedented am it, I correct oh yeah it was yeah. unbelievable so it was it was quite the experience yeah like operationally to you know because we had a small team we had 20 people and we had we were releasing a film on you know probably closer to 4000 and i think the logistics end, alone the logistics alone i think the industry thought we could not do it we were going to we were going to fail we were going to drop the ball somehow we just couldn't do it because at the time all the studios you know they they had 4 and 500 people doing this at each studio and so for me just operationally it was we were really proud and the whole team just to get it, it was it was Pretty amazing. One of the things I'm interested in in that, and I, I can't remember the backstory on it, but part of the way, if my memory is correct, that you did some of the marketing was you sort of seated throughout the 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 houses of worship yeah. in in the US. Yeah. So that you were able to effectively get a following uh from 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 the 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 church, right? In a sense. Yeah. No, and that had been which was really unusual that, for a yeah. film to be able to do that, yeah. right? I mean, that it was almost like more like a uh, a political campaign and and that was really Mel and and a lot of his team that that really did that from early on, let, you know, showed people part of the film and, you know, like let it spread. It was it was amazing. So, and so they contributed to that that viral marketing then absolutely yeah. and and were your team doing it simultaneously or, or his yeah. icon every worked. every it was all hands on deck is yeah. what i'm saying yeah we yeah. all worked together and, and we you know it, the film was you know in in, in aramaic i mean it's in subtitles so you know imagine uh, that right <laughs> i mean and, so and the audience is outrageous and yeah. originally i think i think even Mel and the icon thought, well, it, you know, it's in subtitles, we'll have to go small, you know, it's like a foreign film, you know, and everyone was like, no. I was like, no, we, this is Braveheart Jesus, you know, and we're, we have to go big all the way. And they, luckily, they, they went with it. And how long was that run? I mean, Greek wedding obviously lasted was for well, forever, uh, Jeff, forever the, run. The I can't my memory was. Well, it lasted a long time. I think people, uh, thought that it was a just a, a phenomenon at first that you know 
that everybody would go, like sort of the religious community or the Catholic community would go, and that would be it. But it really held in for like a solid eight, ten weeks, and the it didn't drop. I think people were amazed that it held on, and you know, it was. It was. I mean, I think people. It was controversial, and there's one people, you know, whether you, no matter what you thought, the definitely. I think general agreement that it was well directed, like like Mel did. He's a, he's a, an amazing director, and it worked. And the, the, it kept going, so it had legs, as they say, uh, not not in the Greek wedding, but it but it held on. It wasn't like a two week in and out movie. No, it ran. It yeah, ran. It ran. Yeah, it ran. Yeah. And then, so now these two successes, and and then a bunch of other films, yeah. and uh, and New Market is rolling, and you you've got a long journey, a reasonably long journey with them before. Before Picture House, yeah. Um, uh, the transition from Newmark, Newmarket to, to Picture House, was a transition also that included a relationship with a broadcaster. Once yeah. again, so yeah. now you go from purely theatrical yeah. now to a blend of broadcast and yeah. and uh, and theatrical. And correct me if I'm wrong, but in a sense, this was seasoning for what the future would be with with a streaming connection but but with a world that still had a full theatrical window uh and the day and date when picture house was starting had not taken hold yet that's right and that was a very important ingredient as i would imagine at the time because correct me if i'm wrong but you would release and then am i right in saying that hbo had the right to take it, or was it the other way around? They had the right to broadcast, or they were going to broadcast each one. I can't remember. Well, it was, it was a little different. So it was a combination. So that we sold the New Market, you know, distrib- New Market films to HBO and New Line Cinema. Right. And uh, what happened was that at, at HBO, they were looking to uh, get their film, some of their films are theatrical, their indie films into theaters, or, or thinking about that. And at the same time, New Line was wanting to revamp their indie unit. Pipeline. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so then, of course, they're both owned by Time Warner. So I think it was like you guys, like, don't, they were both talking to us separately. So then Time Warner said, why don't you just both go in and do it together? So it ended up being a 50-50 partnership between HBO and New Line that bought New Market. And it... It, you know, then it was up to each. And then it was the Picture House yeah, label. and right. we called it Picture House. Right. And uh, so it was up to each partner whether to uh, participate in, in films. Like HBO could have one of their films, and HBO New Line would have to agree to split the cost of and also it. And also the methodology, right? Yeah. Because if there was something that would be a New Line release then there would be a waiting period before an HBO broadcast. Um, yeah, it was for, still... It it was, was there were still the windows were all there. It was there. traditional. So like, the traditional windows yeah. were all there. There were no overlaps. Right. It, but it, New yeah. Line didn't have to get it. You were open to sell into the open market for anything that well, you made or no? No, no, it was... No, it was... It was uh, we, we distributed everything ourselves directly at right. Picture House. Right, And New Line was, was really our financial backer, and we could use their uh, international... Or we could make we could make movies with New Line, and at the same time, HBO could present their movies 
to us to release, or we could all go in on a movie together. And I would have to, you know, go to each team and see if they could do it. So when I wanted to make a movie or buy a movie, I had to see if either New Line or HBO or both would do it. And so, for example, when we got the script for Pan's Labyrinth, uh, yeah, like I remember the tour, yeah. we had to go to both companies and, and the, the, you know, it was in Spanish, it was period, it was dark, violent. A fantasy. A yeah. fantasy yeah. or maybe. And then uh, the last movie, the Spanish language movie that Guillermo did before that grossed 100,000, I think, in the U.S., and oh so they they were like, you know, so so New Line, Michael Lynn and Bob Shea, they were like, you know, there's all these things, dark and everything, but, but they go, but Guillermo had done Blade Two for them. So they go, okay, like we don't quite get it, but we know Guillermo is a pro and can, and can do it. So they were supportive. And then the HBO side was like, well, let's wait and see. I don't know. And so we made it without... You know, Michael Lynn without a definitive plan without at the a beginning. definitive plan from HBO, and Michael Lynn, who uh, passed away this year, wonderful guy who who had uh, said he would say, "Look, we'll do it all, and you guys at HBO can come in. You know, you can decide later." He was sort of like he just wanted to get this done. He was going to take all the responsibility, and you know, that film turned out to be a masterpiece. Of course, yeah, yeah. And successful beyond belief, it really was. So it worked out. Worked out very well, yeah. 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 So the, the whole idea now, once again, where you're, you're, you're living in a space with, with multiple arms again, yeah. right? And this is still a, 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 a pre-streaming era entity. Yeah. And, uh, and then now, uh, uh, after, after that, there's a, a period of time that goes for Picture House before uh, uh, before Amazon, yeah. but um, but the the idea was to 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 keep rolling as the entity that you were, and uh, and then was there I, I'm trying to remember is there a gap between the two things? Yeah, or no? there well, was a gap after Picture House. Yeah, right? well, um, one interesting thing about when you talk about the streaming world, it was yeah. right at the beginning, so. Even though Picture House was owned by HBO, they had an output deal, you know, for the for pay from HBO. However, like a lot of those companies, they they disqualified documentaries, black and white films, and foreign language films. So at the time, Pan's Labyrinth did not qualify for the pay deal. So I was like, well, yeah, but you know, you own part of us, you know, and can I sell, can we make a deal somehow with somebody? And they go, yeah, try. So that, so we went out and did a deal, one of the first deals with Netflix. For Pan's Labyrinth. For Pan's Labyrinth, which kind of is interesting because that but started the streaming deal. But it's after the release that it's you after, do this. Yeah. So it's not that blend where, where, where the, a Netflix origin project is competing with its theatrical self. Exactly. Right. But, yeah, but it's what not it, day and day. It's not day and day, but what it was was the first time that, like, all of a sudden, like, they were aggressive about an out, you know, about film. About, uh, that was a player in it the would, marketplace. Yeah, yeah, so it was the beginning of Netflix. Right. And Pan's Labyrinth was one of their early, early, big, big successes. Right, Yeah. right. Yeah. And but but yeah. after that, I went to, um, uh, we started... 
uh, at a brief time, uh, App we started Apparition. a film called Appari a company called Apparition, which we did um, Jane Campion's film Bright Star, and a couple other ones. And it was uh, Bill Polad was the owner of the company, a producer and and a director. So he went. He really ended up going on to be. A director, and he of, did Love and Mercy, yeah. of course. Yeah, the, the Beach was, Boys film, which is a brilliant which, which film. It's amazing film, and and you know I think that his vocation was to be a director, not a distributor. So, and after that, we we formed, and this is a lot with the same team I've had all along in terms of distribution, uh, Film District, which uh, was part of uh, Graham King's company. So Graham King and his his label. Yeah. His label, and Tim Haddington is his partner. And we did some really uh, interesting movies. They were all wide releases. We did the first Insidious that became like a, a you know, it's now spawned like a whole universe. <laughs> if you think about it, with James Wan. And that was a, a Toronto midnight film that afterwards, the first Insidious scared everybody at midnight, but then it kind of uh, ran out of steam a bit. Like somehow in the end, people, were, the buyers and the audience were walking out like, well, I don't know. It just like it was scary. But then we're, and we ended up uh, giving them, buying it, giving them the money to re-edit the ending a bit and with, with no guarantee of a theatrical release. But then they did and we tested it and it went through the roof. It was, and it was really, and we also did a wonderful film, one of my favorites called Drive. Mm. Which was, uh, you know, Reffin's breakthrough film with Ryan Gosling. Yeah, and uh, you know, it was it was it was great. Very controversial, you know. Uh, you know, we we went wide and sort of. Uh, there was a lot of elements of a Fast and Furious to that movie, but it was a, definitely a Reffin, you know, movie. You know, with with very little dialogue and you know, interesting tone and music, and it caught on and had just amazing sort of, uh, Ryan was known, but this really put him, you know, out there. Right. Yeah. And so in all of this, you're dialing into the, to the journey, your knowledge of demographics, theaters, neighborhoods, yeah. places where things are going to succeed is so dialed in as to what films will succeed and where and how. Right. Well, I mean, well it's part of it. I think. I think being I, I, starting out as a theater guy and exhibitor, I think definitely helped me connect to the audience. You know, and and I think the community aspect of the Inwood Theater uh, is totally relevant to today's you know online communities and sort of uh, trying to make things an event. And I think that's so. It, it sort of has followed through. I think if you look at. Um, the movies today you have to you have to have a an event quality to it to get people to to show up you know if you're not a marvel movie so you have to try and create that and get the actors and everybody to do events and streams and you know and and to have to make it special you know? but also you know this whole idea of uh of streaming and then the social yeah. environment of the theater is still both have a both have a water cooler dialogue yeah. to them right yeah. i mean people still talk about it but they're but the experience of the cinema is not there yeah. for that so um as we 
move forward year by year with the the stream because the streamers really have enabled the 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 middle budget or the yeah. 20 30 million less yeah. slightly more to reflourish in a in a post theatrical window home video world yep. and here we are today but what about what about movie theaters today well i think I what, just, how I, do you feel I, I, look i think uh there there are definite challenges but the oh, the whole business is i think pretty strong i mean it, you look at the marvel and disney obviously they're they're so big they and they and they rely on theatrical but i i do think that that middle budget it you know if it's not an event it is tough but if you look at the the numbers of good films that break through their cycles if you have a couple of mediocre films and don't work i think the industry pundits tend to go well it's over you know business is over and then all of a sudden a hit comes in and business is back so i think it's challenged but look like i, I read today you know apple apple comes out and says they're going to do uh, traditional theatrical on their films so here's, here's for their streaming entity. Yeah. Okay. Tell I mean, me. It, tell me more about that. Well, it didn't say all of them, and but it definitely said they're going to do. They were talking about um, Sofia Coppola's film they have. So they talked. They're going to said do theatrical releases. A theatrical window as yeah. well, not a day and date. Right. So, and if you look at um, well, obviously at Amazon. Uh, most of our films were traditional window theatrical. Now it's changed a bit now, but there's still some kind of theatrical. And Netflix has actually gone from saying they're never going to do theatrical to doing quite a bit, even having though it's having a, having a theatrical window, not day, not doing day and day. Right, right, right. So, so they've done a little so rever a slight reverse influence. Slight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think for the big directors, obviously, you know, look for Alfonso and for. Uh, Marty's movie, I mean, they're doing, it, it may not be traditional, but they're doing some theatrical, right? So, you know, I think that, I, I think there's hope. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of films that could obvi obviously be made and benefited by going straight to streaming, too, because I think it does give uh, filmmakers and producers much more, there's more films being made now than any time. Right. So... But so I don't think it'll go away. I think it, I think the exhibitors have to stand up and make the experience good. You know, if you don't, I think you'll be, you know, in a rough spot, right? So you know, the Alamos or the AMC's that have up, you know, the Don, you know, all the theaters. I think even the circuits upping are, the game are upping the game and making it better. So you know, there'll be some kind of pricing or subscription, you know, models that make it work. But hopefully. Ultimately, a younger audience can discover these things, and you know, I'm I'm pretty, you know, if you look at A24, Neon, uh, and to some degree, it looks I like Searchlight. Searchlight's yeah. going to remain a, a positive, I think, theatrical focus. So, I, I, I'm pretty upbeat, even though everyone starts to worry about it. But I think I think if you can be flexible with films, as distributor, some films go here and there, and and every, there's no rules anymore. Even though there's, there seems to be hard and fast rules uh, and the exhibitors try, I, I, think, I think the rules are pretty flexible and they're going to get more flexible. Cool. 
I want to go back now because we've talked a lot yeah. about the business and about your journey in distribution. Yeah. I have great memories, really, actually mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. specifically when I I was working with uh, uh, with. Steve Shaneberg after he did Secretary yeah. and you yeah. pursued that to yeah. make to work with him on Fur, yeah. um, and then sort of the relationships that you've cultivated over the years directly with filmmakers yeah. that you've kept as part of your of your life. I'll talk a little bit about that for me. Well, I mean, I think you bond when you do these, particularly these early films. <clears throat> excuse me, that that may other distributors or producers may not have seen. The value. So, for example, in Pan's Labyrinth, it was a, such a great journey with Guillermo, and we've stayed in touch and we've done, you know, projects together after that. And hope to another one with, with Charlize Theron. That right because on of Monster, it, which goes way back, goes yeah. way back, and and a lot of these people have been so um, uh, wonderful to work with because they they, particularly Charlize Guillermo, they remember those days and and the struggle to get to that and that people weren't uh, understanding what the value of these things so i think a lot of it is is sort of meeting the people and staying in touch and it, you know those companies uh the the companies can kind of evolve and change but there's always the talent that's that's there and and you also did a, a film years ago with with nicole the, the woodsman right yeah I've I've lost touch with with her. I actually worked a little bit on that in yeah. post back then. Um, there were so many filmmakers, she, right? Well, when Nicole has done a lot of, uh, I think, a lot, quite a bit of television. But also the interesting thing H- about the Hoff Woods Center, Hoff Center, is that her last name? I can't remember her, her uh, last name. We'll have to, My, yeah, we, yeah. that's a lookup. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's with an H. Yeah. yeah, I should remember that. I know uh, that's okay. Uh, we, we, yeah. but we'll look the up. other thing about the woodsman that was interesting, the producer was Lee Daniels. Lee Daniels, yeah, yeah who I've worked with They're a lot over the like years. Amazing. Yeah. If you think about that, it's just all the way in. And of course, uh, on that one, Kevin Bacon and Kira were both. I mean, it was that was a really great project. Incredible you know, really film. Cool. Yeah. Because you were you were dealing with with such a hard thing to tough. present. Yeah, it was tough. Yeah. Like, but it was yeah. It was. It, it had, you know, the people involved with are all amazing. Yeah, and and others. Tell me about others that are a- actors and actresses that you feel, and well, directors specifically that you feel that that have sort of been uh, a part of your thread. Well, also uh, the the thread was was Nick Reffin. Nick Reffin. We've done a lot with like Drive. I think was uh, a pivotal film for him, and we've done a lot since then, including. Uh, at Amazon, which I wasn't directly involved with, but sort of probably he did a big uh, series, right? Like a you know fifteen hour movie, right? Yeah. While you were there, yeah, yeah, and Neon Demon. So, uh, you know, if it's it's been it's been it's been really amazing. Uh, you know, Alfonso, Alfonso uh, Cuarón, Cuarón. We still keep in touch. You know, sort of like on and on. Of you, you sort of I hope, yeah. You know, a lot of these directors have gone on to like mega studio. But they, Level, they tend course. to come back. I mean, if you inter- if you look at Alfonso, who then came back and did Roma, you know, it's amazing that they return to these sort of important, sort of, sort of films. simpler films. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if Roma is simple. They're not but, simple. No, well, but 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 not. It's not a. Yeah. It's not the same dimension and size yeah. of the other ones. It's right. A personal yeah. story. Yeah. So 
Um, going going back to when you met Jeannie yeah. in in Austin, you were working at the theater. Yeah. How did that happen? In Dallas. Well, yeah. Jeannie, Jeannie was uh, working in, in sort of corporate publicity, but on the side, she managed a band. And I think... Uh, I think because she had an American Express card, she was the manager, you know, or something, you know, like in a band. So she wanted to rent the theater for the band to do a big concert and fashion show. So that's how we met. That's like amazing. She, she, and, yeah. and it was, and, and you guys did that, you guys hosted the show. We did. Yeah. And she has, you know, she ran Rogers and Cowan publicity in, right. in New York and LA. We moved to New York, they rent, let her run it from here. And she also then, after that, was at the, uh, film, film society, society. so she yeah. sort of got a great um you know master degree in film from richard pena over there yeah and um that's why like we 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 still keep in touch with the new york film festival and show up i we we gave we at amazon we did a lot of you know support and sponsorship for film festivals which was another thing that i loved being able to do at amazon is is to really support a lot of the film festivals because they need it. You know, it's a. T I think as the business has changed, theatrical, so the film festival business. Too, well, I yeah. Think. I mean, if you think about it, right? Yeah. I mean, the dialogue. Yeah. That goes on now at at Con. Yeah, and it's interconnected. With, with it's a bit of a. There's a bit of warfare there with streaming, right? Yeah. Talk about that a bit because I want to hear. I want to hear your snapshot, having been a regular attendee well, over the years, and yeah. and how that. And what, how that inhabits in the business, and how it maybe flexes a little bit as well. Well, at Amazon, you know, I'd been at, obviously I'd been at going to Cannes forever, but at Amazon, since we were doing traditional theatrical, we were the uh, immediately beloved by Cannes, you know, because we were fitting into, you know, what they in France was that was the formula, right? And and so we were immediately we had. I think our first year at Amazon, we had five or six films selected. And, you know, I think these films are selected because they're great, but also, you know, we were, we were really honoring the theatrical tradition. As long as, same way it's at CinemaCon, you know, that we were doing that. And, you know, it's really more about the French system that, you know, the pressure from the industry that I think can sort of had to go along with trying to restrict streamer films. That, and they that have a very strong independent cinema culture, do they not, right? In, yeah. Like in the city of Paris, Oh yeah. incredible amount of small, non-chain independent theaters. It's not that the cities have abandoned them, but well, like, let's like, look at here in New York as an example. We got yeah. Film Forum, we got Metrograph, uh, uh, you know, maybe a, a, a upper west. You've got a, a few. You've yeah. got Bam. What I mean, you know, but yeah, it's yeah. but in the France, theater business. Yeah, in France though, it's it's uh, it's really the government and their support. So in other words, all the ticket prices include a tax that then goes to local production. So it's an intertwined system, and when you go in and try and disrupt a system like that, it, it's tricky and it flows to all everything. So the so from the industry to the festivals. So, you know, the, they're gonna have to deal with it, right? Because the world's changing. So, but Netflix was in, you know, they weren't gonna cave at the beginning. But the thing that Netflix is doing that's fascinating that I 
I'm not sure if anyone else is, is at the same level, is they've reversed out their organization to make local content yeah. in the cities. Yeah. And I got to say, I've been watching, like I watched this thing called Call My Agent. It's called Deep Wilson. Yeah. It's this little series that's on Netflix. And I'm yeah. like, wow. Like, no, they're very they're, smart. About they're it. making local language yeah. content in right. the cities that they that that they're delivering the volume of content that yeah. comes out of North America. Well, it's another way to, you know, I think if if in other words, if you're going to disrupt the French system in a way, you have to do something else. Like so, they are providing production funding for local. So I think it's just a different way, and it's going to take some time for all these, you know, sort of very entrenched systems in, in, in a place like France that has such a great movie industry and you know to and they've protected it over the years and it's one of those really but they strong. get to do it in the uk they get to do it yeah. in germany they get yeah. to do it in belgium yeah they're doing a fair amount from what i understand and out of their madrid madrid setup in yeah. spain you know it's a, oh yeah and which is fantastic yeah. yeah amazon doing the same thing like in india and germany and japan Creating or acquiring local no, creating. content, creating no, making. that—that's making. I, see, I was unclear on yeah. as when while you were there, that mission was 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 uh, launching. Yeah, it was more through the the series stuff. So I, I wasn't directly involved, but I, I saw, got it through TV I, series. But I saw, um, you know, that they're they're really being there's some real successes, and so they're they're going. You know, Netflix, Netflix I think is has been doing it longer, but these other. That that's going to be interesting to see what happens with all the different streaming services, it, you know, because the the global uh, strategy also disrupts the the typical markets, you know, the AFM can and everything. If if you just make one sale, you know, the the idea of selling territory by territory by territory, the traditional model is completely disrupted. Well, let's actually I'm going to ask you about that foreign sales model, right? Yeah. Foreign pre-sales was was a financing model for for domestic production in the U.S. How 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 is our world how is our world working in that way from your from where you sit? Because I hear my understanding with all of my friends who are in the producing world is that that does not have the strength with minimum guarantees and 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 pre-sales and sort of sort of the foreign sales debt financing model. Yeah, it's different. It, I think it's, it's changed a bit, it, hasn't it? It's cooled off. It's harder unless you have, you know, like incredible IP or cast or specific genre that's just almost, you know, bulletproof, right? It is tougher. But the other thing that's happened is you maybe you do say you do pre-sell your film in a lot of places and then uh, a streamer comes along and goes, you know, I'm going to give you X for the whole world and it's way more money so then what you have to do is go back and get out of those deals to take it so i you know that's and so then you're you're more wary to take the deals thinking that maybe the global deal is going to happen so it's become interesting a lot of a lot of sales agents have one of one of the tough parts of their job is to now unwind the deals that they made because they just got a bigger deal and it's and it's going to make those everybody uh having to be really flexible as they make these pre-deals. So there's got to have to be a way out. So it's, it's, and there's got to be an exit for all of the the regional sales that they yeah. do that are foreign territory yeah. sales. Yeah, an exit or not. Like, I mean, so it's that's it's made it very difficult. And, and 
the rules are completely changed. Would some of those foreign streaming deals exclude theatrical? Um, m- probably most of them would. Okay, that's what I yeah. that that that's the so, that's the ingredient that needs to needs to shake out then. Not only theatrical, but also, in many cases, uh, transactional too. So TBOD, like they don't, you know. So oh, so they won't let them have the the what would be to yeah. pay per view. Yeah. Or, that, or that, traditional video. You know? Aha, uh-huh, that gets yeah. taken away. Or video distribution. Yeah, so it could. You know, it's like all Like hard evolving. media. Yeah. Talk a little bit about hard media right now. Well, like, I mean... I'm, like, let's talk about... I never, I've never get into a discussion with anyone about Blu-ray mm-hmm. because I, I don't know about you, but I think about my own life right now and the way I view. And, I've, and you know, we li- live in a New York apartment. You don't have space, yeah. right? You know? Yeah. And, uh, and it's like... What do I want to have all those discs for of every movie? Because I'm like a collector, so I've made it, built a bit of a library, for lack of a what I would necessarily want on my iTunes setup for my Apple TV, and I've bought them to be able to play again and again without having to have a disc. Yeah, and uh, so well, talk a little bit about like where that market is since there's really no rental per se. It's 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 more of a how does it What's well, the foundation it's, it's, for that business? Now? I mean, obviously it's it's declining, but it's but it's not as fast as everybody thinks. If you you know, I think when you mentioned New York and L.A., but everywhere else, there still is there's still video stores, still quite not stores, but you know, Walmart and online rental, like Walmart and Amazon, right? On so sales are still still you know big, and even even in uh, a lot of places, Redbox, you know, where you, there's a machine in front of a store, and th- it's still there. Like, you is know. that is that a, is that a, a rental or a buy? That's it's a, a rental. Buy. Oh, that's a rental. Okay, see. Yeah. What's I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm learning. Still, like, I don't this I don't know about. Really. I mean, obviously, it's it's yeah. it's declining, but it's not gone. And there's actually brick and mortar. Of, brick and mortar has been replaced by some of these other yeah. uh, by that something yeah. like that. But it's but still in the transactional or transactional video on demand TVOD. It's still there, and you know you've seen obviously consolidation with all the studios. For you know, for example, you know, uh, Universal, Warner, all their uh, home entertainment divisions are there. It's more global, and they're buying things and claim. But it's still there. It's sort of a managed, uh, you know, end, right? But th- but it could take a long time. But it's it's sort of consolidating, managing the end of that big business. But look, think about it. The, the other thing that's just amazing that's happening with the, with the streamers is in the past couple of weeks, we've seen both Seinfeld, Friends, sell to streamers for more money than... Than any, they were in syndication. Yeah, which was also the record that they thought it would never be repeated, ever. Impossible. And boom, it was. So, right. So, you know... It's amazing how the, the it it is changing and it's another cycle, but but the old ones are still there managing either downward or changing like theatrical. I, I wouldn't say it's you know it, it it obviously is declining a bit, but yet the numbers are still very very strong. Well, you have cinephile labels like like Criterion mm-hmm. that are still around. Yeah. How how in your mind does a company that's a boutique company, a smaller company in a sense, Janus Films Criterion, how does that 
How does that fit into the ecosystem of today with streaming? They're, they're a high-quality restoration company as well, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I think through, I mean, it, it is interesting when you look at what happened to, uh, you know, Filmstruck and some of these other things that we're going to, didn't make it, but I think it'll find out. I think maybe through, you've seen a lot of things through like channels, either Amazon or these other streamers, ways that smaller companies can utilize bigger streaming companies and have, you know, so I think it'll, it'll shake out. It's very tough to make your own, you know, small boutique streamer on your own. It's just really tough. Although I ran into one recently in, in, in downtown in, 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 in my old building at 110 Leroy street, yep. there's a company called ammo content. Have you heard of them? No. In fact, I, I think I might've seen the sign walking by Leroy, but, but they're a, they're a, they're a, they're a streamer. Yeah. They're a stream, and they and they go to festivals to acquire. Yeah, no, I mean, and it, they and they operate on the outskirts of town, if you yeah. will, right? Yeah. Yeah, no. There's as technology improves, or you look at a company like Mubi in London that that you know not only does high you know quality streaming films, but they also occasionally do their own theatrical, like they did one of our films, Suspiria. They did a theatrical. that was that was one of your Amazon yeah. distributed films, yeah. But they in in UK. Uh, movie did it as a theatrical and then a small streaming deal afterwards. So well, I guess the answer is there's no rules and all these there, everyone's like, well, why don't we do this? Okay. You know, it's more experimental now, I think than ever, even with the big companies, like they're, they, they have to really, you know, change and, and be flexible about what they do to make it work. Right. Right. Yeah. So for you, Mr. Bernie, yeah. Uh, what, What's uh, you've been taking a break? Yeah, I've which is which taking, is awesome. Taking a nice break, but uh, I, I'm I'm not uh, quitting. You know, I'm not. Oh no, uh, you know. nor would so I expect. So it's, it's try to um, figure out the next step, and you know, in all this changing thing, where where is the opportunity and the chaos? Right, everything's upended, and people don't know what's happened. But there's always opportunities within that changing, and I think if if I just don't want to be. Uh, afraid of any of the changes and try and figure out how to, how to best um, keep keep doing it and keep working with uh, top directors and producers. And, uh, I, and I still firmly believe in the theatrical business too. So all my friends in exhibition, you know, I think there's real hope for that. And, and I'm so glad you're saying that yeah. because I've really wanted to have a conversation with yeah. Tim Leake, who I intend to yeah. have join me one of these you days. You have to, yeah. A, a must, right? Yeah, a must. And I've attended a, 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 a couple of the Art House conferences yeah. that happened before Sundance. Yeah. And it's so wonderful yeah. to be a, in a community of people who are talking about the impact of independent cinemas. Yeah. And that, and that, what was the, the sort of the core kind of keynote statement about that? Independent cinema chains and art house theaters help the property values of a community when it's in a certain area, right? Yeah. They impact the entire fabric and culture, right? Yeah. Of, of an area. And, 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 and I, I think about, I think about the, the idea of the hinterland aspect of yeah. cinema that has been approached by a number of players yeah. in the business and and all of the variety of content that they've come up with as ideas. For instance, like, I don't know if Richard was doing it or not, Richard Bromwitz, but yeah. what, there was a gentleman who was at Art House that was talking about 
and and executing, uh, delivering the Metropolitan Opera to places where people would pay for a ticket and show up to see the opera from the Met, like as a as a night out, dressed up and all of that. Yep. So it's like when I think about the use of the venues and what it's getting used for, and just the overall survival and health of theaters, and uh, and then and then everything that y- you do with yeah. them that that can continue. Well, the uh, opera thing is a good example, and both you know Regal, AMC, the. And Alma, particularly, they all do live stream Q and A's, which enable these sort of special events in Los Angeles or New York to to be seen, you know, live at all their other locations, which makes, you know, enables to do an eventized screening somewhere else. So I think, you know, and 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 I think it's true of of the bigger circuits too. They they need to respond. They I I would say that they want another audience besides just the you know, Disney Marvel audience. They need the other audience to make it work. And you you mentioned a bit ago about Apple uh, uh, announcing what they're going to do. Yeah. Um, I I haven't kept my ears out in regards to uh, Disney's intention with their streaming model, but I think it's pretty clear they're still theatrical and they still are going to do their own stuff, right? I mean, it's, so, I think it, I think um, it's more separate. Like, I don't. Think that's it, a different business. It's yeah. a different business. I don't think it's like they're going to uh, not, you know, put their big movies in theaters. However, of course, yeah. However, I think their streamer. It looks like they're going to be able to take spinoffs and other strands and expand their universe on on streaming. And I think you know, it looks like. Um, HBO Max is going to do the same thing, and you know Comcast. Um, I don't know as as much about it, but it looks like it's more of a advertising support. So, thing. so in connection, HBO Max under what is now the Warner Media model, yeah. which is owned by AT and T, right? Yeah. So that's like a new business yeah. entity to itself. And then Comcast, of course, is N- NBC Universal. Am yeah. I right? Still, yeah. yeah. So yeah. these are all of the arms of the majors. Yeah evolving yeah evolving in a whole new model just like when you know uh, vhs or dvd changed the whole economics of the business this is now doing the same thing right and we're right at the beginning no it's fun it's fun to be at the beginning yeah because because there aren't because nothing hard and fast rules and it hasn't happened and get away with stuff right now maybe yeah and it hasn't happened Yeah. yeah and in terms of now, so now we have a massive infrastructure happening in our domestic business, yeah. which is also a global business, of course, but it's, it's still these are domestic companies. What do you see of the reaction? Because you're pretty dialed into the international market. What happens in the rest of the world that watches us go through these changes? Well, I think it's, and, and, how, and how do they react? I think it's very scary to them. If you look at France, that of course has you know, robust business of their own. And they've always, you know, the, the idea that these streamers are trying to come in and tell them what to do and how to change their own model is, they don't love that. And then the streamers are all U.S. companies. Exactly. So, yeah. That's what I'm thinking. So they're like, yeah. it's double bad, right? It's like, wait a minute. Here, here are, are all these huge U.S. companies coming into our markets and trying to, you know, so... I understand the the they're they're really defensive about it, and they have their own business, and it's always been that way, right? For the big U.S. studios, 
pressuring. So, but but when you talked about local productions and everything, that yes. that's really what has to happen. I think there's there has to be it has to be a win win somehow. So this is I, and that's know. what's new. Yeah, it's financial fuel going into local markets yeah. and creating original language content for their audience. Yeah. And then if they can show it in the US, great. If they can't, yeah. fine. Right. But then but then it's gonna be how is the how are how are the revenues split? How, you know, how's it gonna work, you know, in terms of the logistics of all this, in terms of streaming and, and the the rights in each com- country and can you if you're a customer in one country and you travel to somebody else to another country, can you access that? How easily? Right, the crossing borders yeah. with common with common platforms. Yeah. Okay. So if so, that's the other thing, which We're, was an issue with like things like um, uh, like a like a Pandora as an example. Yeah. If you travel to to Europe, or at least yeah. if you traveled to Europe a number of years ago, you tried to turn on your Pandora, and it's like, no, no, you can't play that here. Right. So that I, I don't even know right now what what I even don't know what the rules are for well, U.S. subscriptions. Well, that's that's the issue is like there there are different rules, different places with different comp- countries and companies. So if you're if you're a customer in France, and you have the rights to certain title on a streaming service, but then you drive over to Belgium, you know, but you can't watch it. But but maybe some titles have French rights in Belgium, so it's very difficult and that's to manage why, in, in that yeah. in that system in the in in the in the countries that are yeah. all the EU and all the protections. So that sort of wants you sort of pushes you to make an overall global deal with somebody, you know, so so you have to worry about that. But it is that's gonna take some time, both technically, you know, how do you do that? Maybe you can do it. Maybe if you're a customer in France and you have a certain password, you could go to Spain and watch it because you're a French customer. You're just in there, but you're just traveling. But how do you really control that? And then, wouldn't it be easier just to sell everybody? You know, to make a global deal. So that's that's going to be the tension and pressures on the existing, you know, business that we have of of this sort of territory by territory sales. That you know, that's, it's going to be a problem. But what's going to happen? That's a bonus for all. Mm-hmm. Is for the first time. In my life in the movie business, 30, however many yeah. plus years, yeah. there's going to be original language subtitled content from all of the international makers and the dominance of the need for English language content in our own players mm-hmm. is, is going to, it's not going to dissolve, but it's going to slightly dilute it's never. I mean, dominance for English language is going to be there, obviously, because it's the it's the global uh, uh, conversation. Yeah. But all of a sudden, I think it saves a little bit of do- domestic uh, 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 language content in each territory, even the hybrids of them. In 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 Quebec, you have Quebecois content. Yeah. In 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 and then in all of the French territories, all of the language territories, Dutch, German. Spanish, the Latin market in its entirety, Portuguese, Brazil, and Portugal. It's like all of a sudden original content coming no, out of these places. Fact yeah. wild. No, I think it is good. I think the, but the, there's still the fear of um, no matter what language this is in, like if, if the US companies and particularly Disney, you know, if they, if they really dominate 
the with with their IP, like that everybody wants to see, you know, Marvel and now every what they make, what they make. There's still that issue, and as it gets more, you know, global, you know, there's going to be that. But so it's going to evolve. There's still that the power of a of a company the size of Disney quote Disney slash Fox, you know, is well, yeah, it's true. I mean, if you go if you go to France. And you talk to someone who's a young film goer and you ask them, well, you know, do you want to see the movie that's made here locally or yeah. do you want to see the Marvel movie? Right. It's the answer is pretty simple. Yeah. And you want to they yeah. want to they yeah. want to they want to be part of the conversation and and anything that's done, even if it's spectacular in their local market, it it's still a it's still a big bang on the door when it comes to making the spectacular, the tent pole. Right. And even if you look at the the local ones, right? All the the funding of the government to make the local movies in France or Spain or whatever are those people deciding what those movies get made? Are that are those the movies that the audience really wants to see or not? You know that that's because it's not, you know, it's it's tricky. It's a different system, and um, you know, th there's going to be this clash of the. System, but it's. I, I still am very optimistic and think it's all good because I think more there's gonna be more chances for filmmakers to make more movies and shows. And, and, and I shows. think I think on the episodic side, it's a home run. It's a home run, yeah, right? It is on the theatrical side. Still, a war, it's still battle. Yeah. You're still going to battle yeah. with people wanting to be part of the global conversation. Yeah. So the global conversation is that big, huge American movie that regardless of whether or not a, a local movie is opening up or not, these, the, this population, they want, they want to, they want to be part of that because it's, because this social media is global. Well, yeah. yeah. And the question is, do they, even if they want it, are there opportunities for al alternatives, right? Or are there going to be enough um, alternative theaters, uh, access, you know how how is that going to shake out? And so there's, it's going to take a while. It's all new. And talking about uh, a broadcast and social media and platforms, I have a few friends that were in the theatrical business. One of them, who now works for a company called Whistle Sports, mm -hmm. and they do aggregated content, yeah. which is a, a sort of, in a sense, uh, uh, now displacing. Because it's because it's 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 specific to sports viewing. Yeah. But they are creating something that doesn't have a distribution like major cost in in, in a sense because right. of the the ability to be able to get things out, which is what the sort of renegade version of what YouTube is. How do you see now in a world where there is an anchor of YouTube? YouTube's role and how YouTube evolves, and what has your interaction been with YouTube? Well, it's been more on the uh, on the promotional side, or like a, some kind of viral marketing that is used. But I I could see them uh, cre creating longer form content too. YouTube, and, yeah, producing, yeah, yeah. So we'll see. Like you've seen everything evolve. Like they're allowing everybody else to do it, but they could they could start, and they have such a platform. Right. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, God, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having thank me. Thank you this so much. This I, is awesome. Uh, 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 I, 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 I look forward to.
to seeing you again soon. And thank you so much for coming. Yeah, this is really fantastic. Lot, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.